Greetings in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. I have enjoyed the service so far today. Thank you for all who shared. I have uh, definitely noticed the theme of trust coming through. The uh, obviously the devotional, even the uh, children's class, um, trusting and sharing. And the theme will continue. Let me read to you from our Confession of Faith booklet that um, we've been teaching some messages on some of the uh, basics of our Christian belief. And uh, I'll just read to you page 10. And you might know why I was smiling inside and outside when Nathan got up and started his subject. Page 10 of the Confession of Faith booklet, if you have one. The top of the page, D. Our King has promised to provide for our needs. We should not expect the government to care for us in sickness or old age. Number two, we should not trust in, in we should not trust in insurance companies to meet our needs. Number three, we each help bear one another's burdens. Number four, we strive to care for the needy as though they were Christ Himself. <clears throat> the message that I'm going to share today is a message that finds its uh, its uh, content in this, uh, the thoughts that are expressed here on in that statement. And uh, obviously, the devotional that uh, Brother Sheridan Trust was an excellent um, introduction to the, the rest of what I will share here today. So, I uh, I thank God for that. I I find that encouraging. Uh, so let's take a moment. Let's commit this next hour to the Lord in prayer, shall we? <clears throat> Maybe if you're able, you could stand. <clears throat> our Father, our God, we do come to you here today. Lord, you have been present here with us so far. You have been uh, teaching and instructing us. And we are looking to you. We are desiring to understand kingdom principles. We're desiring to understand how they should affect our lives. We're desiring to understand and to be taught how we can walk in obedience to your will and your purposes, Lord, for us here upon earth. And today, teach us again. Father, I open the, myself up to you, and I'm asking you to speak 
your words through me. Father, I'm asking that I wouldn't be conveying my own thoughts. I'm asking, Father, that you would establish every word that comes forth from my lips. And, Father, that only your kingdom could be uh, rightly represented. So, Father, again, bless us here today. Bless each one present. And uh, may, again, our hearts be inspired to follow Christ in every area of life. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, we begin our message in Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12. I'm going to begin in uh, verse 13, just going back a little bit from where Nathan had uh, shared. And we'll get, uh, we'll look at a a larger context here. Kind of where this uh, whole subject begins of uh, of uh, that is in this text, and I've titled today's message "Tomorrow's Needs." Tomorrow's needs. <clears throat> this uh, this scripture, this context, or this uh, this subject. Uh, seemingly begins here in verse uh, 13 with a question. Luke 12, verse uh, 13. One of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he, Jesus speaking, said unto him, Man, sir, we would probably say in our language, Sir, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And then he says unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then he goes on and gives the parable that we already looked at today. Let's just stop for a moment and uh, just consider the few verses that we read there so far. Um... What would we say was the most important matter at hand in this gentleman's life who came to Jesus with this question about whether Jesus would divide the, uh, talk to his brother so he divides the inheritance? Now, obviously, the brother, uh, probably from his perspective, the most important subject at hand was the fact that his, his brother wasn't dividing this, the, uh, the inheritance. seemed like that was what he considered to be the most important subject. Jesus quickly uh, diverts the attention away from that and reminds him, and as he goes on down through this scripture, as we will look at, that there is actually a more important matter to be considered than the fact that perhaps you weren't used fairly. Perhaps you didn't get everything that was entitled to you. Perhaps someone got more than you got. Perhaps someone seems to be blessed above what you're blessed. All of the above. They're not the most important subject. And Jesus quickly uh, shows us that. The most important subject, uh, there's probably several that could be gotten here. Now, Jesus focuses on on covetousness. 
uh, as being a more important subject to be considered. I'm going to suggest that uh, the, the gentleman's attitude toward his brother, his feelings, his thoughts, and all those kind of things are probably part of what could have been considered as a more important subject than the fact that he hadn't got everything that he thought was due him. Uh, but we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, Jesus, <clears throat> uh, G- this is part of the context of this scripture. Um, Jesus then goes on with this uh, a parable that uh, we already read this morning. Uh, the parable of this, uh, as my, my Bible actually says, a rich fool. Uh, the, his ground brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And then he comes up with a solution. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull my barns down. I'm going to build them bigger. I'm going to put up my fruits and all my goods. And then I'm going to enjoy life. That's what he was saying. That's what he was thinking. Of course, God's response is, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then whose shall these those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. <clears throat> so as we already have seen this morning, he focused on his own security. Uh, he, uh, you know, he had a good year, obviously. He had a good year. Things did well. And I suspect that all of us or many of us in this room have at one point or another found ourselves at a similar spot. We had a good year. Our business did well. We put in a lot of hours this year. Our job did well. And we probably found ourselves at a similar spot. Now, what do we do with what we've earned? I don't know what for thoughts went through our minds, but it's challenging because the Lord challenges us where we live in America, really. Do you, uh, I noticed something in this scripture. The, uh, the gentleman here in the parable, he, he asks himself, what shall I do? And he comes up with a solution and his, uh, of his own. Do you know the Lord actually gives us the answer as to what he should do in this scripture? It's a bit further along in the scripture. But the Lord gives us the answer for this gentleman whose crops produced a great deal more than he needed. Look at verse 33. Sell that you have. Give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Where no thief approaches where, and neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Lord Himself gives us the solution to the problem. So if you ever find yourself in that spot again, and you realize your crops did well, your business did well, and you're tempted to ask, what shall I do? There's the answer. Sell what you don't need and find somebody that needs it.
You know, the, uh, this gentleman here, like this scripture says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God described him as a fool because he had failed to seize the opportunity to convert his gain to eternal riches, is what he had failed to do. So he had, uh, he had taken his gain and, and, uh, and preserved it for his personal use for the coming years. But his life was going to end right here before he ever got to absorb any of that. And so, it's all gone. It's all gone. The opportunity, his opportunities to work with it is, are all gone. Um, whereas the, this, uh, uh, there in verse 33, where we are so much encouraged to provide ourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heaven that faileth not. <clears throat> so the, uh, as we, as we look down over this scripture, and we probably, we, we don't want to, uh, we don't want to miss more of this context. He, in, in verse 22, Jesus, as he continues to talk to his disciples, he says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. Life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Now, notice that verse, 23. The life is more than meat, the body is more than raiment. And I think we can... Uh, rightly deduct from that verse that there is something, again, that is more important. There is a subject that is of greater importance than uh, what you're going to eat tomorrow and what you're going to put on tomorrow. Uh, whether you're going to have clothes or not. Whether you're going to have food or not. There is a subject that is of greater importance than that. And, of course, he uh, he keeps on teaching us that as he goes down through here. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither get, have storehouses nor bar- barns, but God feedeth them. And how much better are you than fowls? And which of you can take thought, uh, which of you taking thought can add to his stature one cupid? If then, if ye then be not able to do that which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? <clears throat> Consider the lilies, they grow, they toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today in the field, which tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not what ye shall eat, and what ye shall drink, neither be of doubtful minds, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, and no moth corrupteth. For where your, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that he that when he cometh and knocketh they may open unto him. 
Blessed are ye, blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make him sit down to meet, make them sit, to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so doing, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready, also, be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. <clears throat> now, these scriptures all, uh, they tie together. There's still the same context, the, the idea of being ready. As we consider um, tomorrow's needs, the first, uh, the, the, the scriptures that we've looked at so far, and the context that we've considered so far, are God's perspective of tomorrow's need. And we need to have God's perspective of tomorrow's needs. And this is God's perspective of tomorrow's needs. The, um, again, he says there, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Again, he is putting things in their correct priority. Uh, what should our focus be today? Should our focus be, what am I going to do when I'm too old to work anymore? Should our focus be, what are we going to eat and drink and wear next year? Should our focus be, how are we going to... Uh, uh, be able to buy a house uh, two years from now? You know, in other words, what should our focus be now? And this scripture puts it, uh, gives us God's perspective. And God's perspective is this, that our focus should be on Him, on His kingdom, on His purposes in our lives. That our first and foremost uh, passion is God and His His kingdom and His purpose and what He wants for my life. That should be the driving passion, the first thing that we uh, that that uh, influences all of our decisions. Uh, does that uh, Does that mean that? Uh, well, no. Let Let Let's just stay on that on that thought for a bit. Just like this scripture says here, as He He gives us the. Uh, he gives us the importance of first seeking the kingdom of God. He tells us that the life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. There is something more important than what you will eat and what you will drink, what you will wear. And it is, uh, and that we're to seek first the kingdom of God. I think of Colossians where it tells us that if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. The focus is God and His kingdom. And then he goes on down in, uh, in, uh, from verse 35 on down through. Let your uh, loins be girded about, your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when He will return for, from the wedding, that when He cometh and knocketh, they may open unto Him immediately. The same context of Scripture, that we are focused... That our heart is kingdom focused, first and foremost. And that uh, 
as, and that at the moment when our Lord does return, our heart is kingdom focused and we are ready. And we are ready to respond at His appearing. Rather than being, uh, our heart being focused on building a business, our heart being focused on, on the material things of this life, our heart being focused on, 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 uh, getting that, uh, uh, best job or, or getting that uh, uh, promotion in position, uh, all, all the kinds of things that we can focus on. And when our Lord comes, we are so focused on those things that we all of a sudden almost have to be shaken to reality. Oh, he, oh yeah, he is. That, that, that's right. He is going to come. And so our Lord warns us and, and God's perspective of tomorrow's needs is that we would first of all, foremost, Keep a kingdom focus in our hearts and keep Christ and His kingdom as the number one priority, the number one driving motivation, the number one everything in our lives. And then out of that, the rest of things find their place. <clears throat> you know, as he says here, the... Uh, it says, take no thought for your life, verse 22, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, the body is more than raiment. You know, we could just take that verse right there and say, well, you know what, we shouldn't even plant a garden. Uh, we shouldn't put up uh, fruits in the summer for the winter. Uh, we shouldn't... Uh, we shouldn't even uh, give. We shouldn't give any thought to uh, uh, while we're you know young and energetic and full of uh, strength and vitality. We shouldn't give any thought at all to you know what what how will we live when we are old and our strength is gone. You know we could take a verse like that and we could just we could go totally to that side of the scope. But I don't believe that is what our Lord is actually wanting to tell us. I don't think He is wanting to tell us that uh, you shouldn't uh, bother planting a garden and, and putting up vegetables for the winter. I, I don't think that is uh, what He's wanting to tell us. Um, I realize you could uh, almost deduct that from those verses. And I would also like to say that I don't think that he's wanting to tell us that we should just totally live oblivious to the fact that someday I'm going to be an old man and I'm not going to be able to work anymore. And I'm still going to have needs and my bills are probably going to be higher then than they are now. My living. Uh, I don't think he's asking us to just totally be oblivious to that fact. Uh, but we do well to be warned that we should not be focused and living with that in focus. That we are doing what we're doing today because we want to be sure we're cared for once we're an old man. Or we want to be sure to be doing all that traveling that all those other old folks are doing now. You know, the American dream. We do well to be warned and warned well that uh, these scriptures have something to say to us. But at the same time, I, I, it would be, it would be sad if someone lived carelessly all their days when they were in health and in strength and lived carelessly with their monies 
because uh, you just live from day to day. You don't do anything about tomorrow's needs today. And got to their old age and had nothing because they just simply were very careless with what they had. <clears throat> so I don't think our Lord is, uh, is uh, telling us to live totally oblivious to the fact that these things will happen. You know, winter is going to come. In the middle of summer and the crops are growing, the garden's growing. Remember, winter is going to come. And uh, you're going to want to eat then too. And remember, someday you're going to be an old person. And uh, you're not going to be able to work the way you work now. I don't think he's teaching us to be totally oblivious to that. But we live in a culture that is, in many, many ways, is on the other side of the pendulum. Much thought and much energies and much being put into how, well, you know, how, uh, how retirement, uh, old age and all those kind of things. <clears throat> so, we have God's perspective of tomorrow's needs. And uh, it brings us back to the subject of trust. We have, we'd also like to consider my perspective of tomorrow's needs. What is my perspective of tomorrow's needs? Turn in your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul gives us a perspective to consider. Philippians 4 verse 11, Paul writing says this, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You know, that verse is a favorite of ours. But it comes in the context of a a life that one time you have plenty and the next time you don't know where to get the next bite. That's the context in which he's giving it. One time there's all I need and, and the next time I can't scrounge up a crumb. And he says, I can do all things. Through Christ, which strengthens me. I can live through all sorts of diverse circumstances through Christ, which strengthens me. And as he says in the earlier verse, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. My perspective of tomorrow's needs. What is my perspective? Let's turn also to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Again, Paul writing, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. That's a good exhortation concerning my perspective of tomorrow's needs. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. 
as he says, it's we brought nothing into the world and we won't carry anything out. Just like the rich man that put up his goods and that night he died, his goods all stayed behind. <clears throat> There's another scripture in Hebrews, chapter 13. Verse 5 and 6, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. <clears throat> and so there we have another exhortation to... Uh, a warning regarding covetousness and an exhortation to contentment with the things that we have because God says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Um, you know, those scriptures all, lead, uh, you know, they exhort us to contentment. They exhort us to uh, Peace and rest in the Lord in that which He provides or that which He allows. You know, we live, we live in a culture and in a world that uh, continually harps on the, on the issue of security. You know, you've got to secure uh, your future. You know, you plant a crop in the field, you've got to secure your harvest. You know, regardless of, of uh, uh, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to look at that field, you've got to look at the, what crop you're planting, you've got to look at what you want out of that field, and you've got to uh, ensure that field to get it, and regardless of what the summer rains do or whatever, uh, you've got to secure that crop. And that's the, uh, that's the uh, mentality of our world today. Um, there are there are insurance policies for about anything that you can imagine to dream up of, you know. Uh, and insurance policies are all designed to uh, protect us against any major losses or setbacks. Um, you know, you just we don't want those things in life, do we? We we want to be we want things to be predictable. We want to know where we're coming from and where we're going. We want to know how things are going to hold out for the next 5, 10, 15, and 20 years. We want it secure. That's the world we live in. That's what the world around us teaches us. I was going to clip out of the Lancaster farming, uh, and I forgot it. I have to do things when I remember them or they're sure to be forgotten. But it was a whole page, one full page, promoting uh, crop insurance. And I forget the... Uh, but yeah, that's... that's uh, uh, it's where we live. <clears throat> you know, are we, what's my perspective of tomorrow's needs? Are we, uh, you know, are we, are we willing to trust God and, uh, and to trust God that when God decides that He wants to allow a little bit of a slump in our lives and in our experience, a little bit of a setback, a little bit of a financial reverse, you know, just things that didn't go quite as we planned. Uh, are we willing to trust God and and live with that kind of vulnerability? At least to a measure? 
Or do we want, do we have the mentality that uh, our world teaches us that we, we want things secure? We want to know what's going to be the outcome. We want to know that at the end of the summer, regardless if it's drought or, or plenty of rains, that we're going to have that much money out of that crop, irregardless of what the weather does or anything else uh, affecting it. We want it insured, you know. It's, uh, what is my perspective of tomorrow's needs? <clears throat> what should my perspective be as one of God's children? What should it be? What would God want my perspective to be? Can we say like Paul did, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Let's see, that was in Philippians. Let's go back to that scripture. Uh, Yeah, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Uh, yeah, what is my perspective of tomorrow's needs? Are we willing to to uh, to have some vulnerableness in our lives and some un, uh, unpredictableness as such, or do we cushion ourselves on every side so that? There is no vulnerability. It's something to think about. What are we actually trusting in? So my perspective of tomorrow's needs. I'd also like to take just a moment here and consider my perspectives if I'm rich. The scripture has something to say about that. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Again. Let's see. Verse 17 to 19. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Isn't that a wonderful scripture? You know, it actually, it says the same thing that Jesus said over in, in, in Luke about the, the wealthy man. You know, there is a solution. There is a danger in riches. The scripture is clear on that. Uh, there is a danger of high-mindedness. There's a danger in, in trusting in riches. Those things are, uh, they, they, they're there. And, you know, who are the rich in this world? You know, we know that we are those who live among the rich, or we are the rich in, in context of the world's, uh, and we are the ones who live in danger of trusting, uh, being high-minded and trusting in our uncertain riches. That is us. <clears throat> My perspective if I'm rich. Psalm 62 verse 10 says, Trust not in oppression, nor become vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. 
Proverbs 11.28 He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. And Proverbs 13, verse 7, puts it in perspective. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. And that puts it in perspective, just like the, uh, the parable there in Luke. He made himself rich, and he had nothing. And there is that makes himself poor, and yet hath great riches. Which one do we want? Which one do we want? <clears throat> so, my perspective if I'm rich. I think we can all relate to that a bit. Do good. Be rich in good works. Ready to distribute. Willing to communicate. Look for opportunities to meet the needs around you. <clears throat> next point, next per, uh, perspective we'd like to consider is the church's perspective of tomorrow's needs. The church's perspective of tomorrow's needs. We've considered God's perspective. We've considered our own perspective. We've considered uh, the perspective of the wealthy. And we'd like to consider the church's perspective of tomorrow's needs. Again, Philippians 4, verse 10. Just uh, including a verse here that... A little more of the context that we had looked at already. Philippians 4, verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye also, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. <clears throat> so they apparently had a desire to minister to Paul's needs. Uh, and uh, as he says here, their care hath flourished again. Uh, they wanted to, but apparently lacked opportunity, whatever that meant. But Paul goes on and gives his perspective, which we've already looked at. And then in verse uh, 13, that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And verse 14, notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Let's just read a couple more verses here. Now, ye Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. <clears throat> there the context is there uh, the, the uh, uh, church, the Philippians were sending to Paul, sending Sending uh, 
support, uh, helping uh, meeting his needs. And Paul blesses them for it. Uh, you know, I'm guessing that uh, that uh, the ability to get uh, uh, material goods to Paul were not quite as convenient as they are today. And probably sometimes when they sent them, it took a while till they ever got to him and and uh, sometimes he was pretty hungry maybe till the, till the help came and, and thus he says, you know, uh, he can, uh, he's taught to abound and to suffer hunger and so on. But anyhow, he blesses them for their uh, willingness to communicate, to distribute, to help. And he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's how he finishes up that little uh, uh, scripture there. Um, Simply uh, blessing them for what they have done and reminding them that, hey, God's going to take care of you. You've you've been uh, ministering and God's going to meet your needs. Let's also go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> the the, the uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9 here basically uh, touch the same subject. Oh. Uh, Maybe I'll just begin reading here in chapter 8 and make a few comments maybe as we go. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Notice that. The fellowship of the ministering to the saints. See, uh, it's something uh, something important to consider. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first they gave their own selves to the Lord. That's important. And unto us by the will of God, Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Just stop there. See that ye abound in this grace also. He calls this uh, fellowship of uh, of the ministering to the saints. He he calls this a grace. He he kind of makes it equal to uh, to uh, uh, the uh, the matters of faith and utterance and knowledge and love. And he uh, he holds up this grace of ministering to the saints on a basically a comparable level. And once this, uh, and exhorts them that this grace would also abound in them. <clears throat> he says in verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know that the grace of our Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind it is accepted to the it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be an equality. As he has writ as it is written, he that hath gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. <clears throat> And we'll just stop there. Uh, but they apparently, the uh, he's giving an exhortation to the Corinthian church. And they had purposed a year ago already to send support to uh, the, and uh, but it never happened. And so he's, uh, he's uh, reminding them of their commitment and reminding them to follow through with it. And reminding them uh, of the, uh, the, the, the blessing that if they would, if we then Go over to uh, chapter 9, verse 6, and just pick up the context there. He says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. For God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness." Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplied the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgiving unto God. Whilst by the experiment of of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. This scripture, again, he's, uh, he's uh, obviously he's talking about giving. There in, in chapter 8, verse uh, uh, well, let's say verse 13. I mean not that other men are eased and you burdened, uh, but by an equality that uh, at this time your abundance may be a supply to your their want, and so forth. And then he goes, uh, we jump over there to verse uh, 6 or of chapter 9, and he says, He which sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he which sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And that is given in the context of sharing and giving to the needs of others. That's where the, those scriptures are uh, 
uh, about sowing bountifully and uh, uh, sowing sparingly. As every man hath purposed in his heart, let, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward ye, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Scriptures that are loaded with promise and truth. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6 tells us this, As we therefore, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. The church's perspective of tomorrow's needs. You know, I think... I think it can be expected that uh, there will be needs tomorrow or the next day or the day following or, or next year. Uh, there will be needs. I think that is something that uh, we can uh, uh, count on. They're going to be there. What should the church's perspective be on those needs as it's given here in the Scripture? This Scripture... Here in Corinthians, actually, uh, uh, as he says there in verse 12, not only their, their administration of this service, their helping, their giving, it did not only uh, meet the need of the saints, but it also uh, resulted in many thanksgivings unto God, is what it says here. And that... Uh, uh, while there, by these, these verses is English is a little bit hard to follow through as you read it, but whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel. Uh, he, in fact, your professed subjection unto the gospel is actually, he's saying that by giving they were submitting to themselves to a principle of the gospel. By giving. They were submitting themselves to a principle of the gospel and that uh, God is glorified. Uh, this, uh, they glorify God as a, as a result of it. <clears throat> and so the needs, uh, those who were in need, their needs were met. Those who had abundance had an opportunity to share. They got a blessing that way. And I'm trusting that both sides were able to bless God. Those who had abundance and were able to give were able to bless God that they had an abundance and were able to give. And those who didn't have enough were able to bless God because somebody was willing to give and meet their need at that moment. And that's the picture that we get here. That God was glorified in the, in the whole deal and, uh, and uh, much thanksgiving and, and praise to God uh, through it all. <clears throat> and so we have, we have uh, uh, tomorrow's needs. We have God's perspective that we looked at in Luke 2, or Luke 12. We have our perspective and that of, uh, you know, the challenge of, of being willing to be a bit vulnerable and trust God. Be willing to see some uh, moments and days of perhaps need where... If we'd have had, had insurance, we probably could have been cushioned pretty good. But is that exactly what God wants us for us? 
Let's be, uh, let's be challenged by that. Uh, we have uh, our pers- uh, my perspective if I'm rich. And we have the church's perspective of tomorrow's needs. <clears throat> and that of uh, being there and ministering to the needs of, uh, of others. And uh, when we have sufficient and more than we need, that we would minister to those who don't have sufficient and who are hurting and suffering in need. You know, as we look at those, those uh, different aspects, different perspectives, God's perspective, what our perspective should be, <clears throat> and what... Uh, what the church's perspective should be. Can we begin to understand how that some of our Amish forefathers who were very accustomed to helping each other in just that way felt when the government designed the Social Security program Can we understand how they felt when the government designed the Social Security program and made the care of the people their business, the government's business? Go back 65 years to 1950. The the Social Security program actually began in 1934 or 35, somewhere back there. The uh, Amish people... uh, Appealed it in 1950. Can you can you can you feel a little bit what they may have felt back then? When you look at the scriptures, and you look at God's perspective of tomorrow's needs, you look at what your perspective of tomorrow's needs should be, and you look at what the church's perspective of tomorrow's needs sh- should be, and you see a government taking all of that and putting it in their control? Can you see why they may have felt they may have felt in, uh, like it was in, an infringement upon their faith and practice? I think I can. That they appealed the government that they would uh, be exempt from that requirement of taking those benefits and, and submitting to those benefits and would care for their own people. I, can, I think I can feel a little bit of what they would have felt at that point, uh, realizing that, in a sense, the government was taking upon its shoulders what the people of God should be, should have been a part of their lives all along. I, can, I think I can understand why they would have uh, felt that way, felt like it was an infringement, <clears throat> and made the appeal they made. But what about us? We're 65 years down the road from the day when they first appealed that. Insurances are ever increasing. 
And along with it is our independence is ever increasing. We don't need each other, do we? On so many fronts, we don't need each other like they used to. I remember, I don't remember. (laughs) But there was a day when the farming community all helped each other, a given community helped each other with their threshing of their wheat and their harvesting and all those kind of things. They would go around as a team. And they would all, they'd start at one given farm and they'd go around the community, one farm to the next. Everybody worked together. Everybody helped. Along came the modern equipment and we adjusted and we, I remember, and this was in my day as a youth, we, we shared, we farmed together with neighbors. We shared equipment. One man had a, a forage harvester and a wagon. Another man had a forage blower and another wagon. And each of them contributed a couple tractors and they did, each, they did each other's silo filling and all those kind of things. They worked together. They helped each other. I remember those days. I think Warren remembers them too. <laughs> we even cut tobacco together, didn't we? I don't promote that, but that was part of what we did. Um. But we helped each other. You know, we've, uh, we've moved even from that in our farming practices today in another generation. Most farmers own all their own equipment. A good bit of their own equipment. And they can do it themselves. They hire someone to work on the farm rather than back and forth type of thing. Or it even goes to the point where a lot of it is, and time does change, and I recognize that. You know, a lot of it is custom hired today anymore. Custom operators doing, with big equipment, doing lots of things in a real short time. But it's simply, it's just part of a bigger picture of where we need each other less and less. There's an independence that, that just continues to grow in our, in, 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 even in our circles, even in our Anabaptist faith, uh, there's an independence that continues to grow. And granted, I feel it. I feel it in myself. There's something of wanting to, uh, you know, to be able to do the job yourself. You know, it's, it's real. It's a real thing. And then it comes to the uh, the whole uh, the level of uh, bearing one another's burdens, as you know, as we were looking here in the scriptures. You know, like I said, there's there's an insurance for everything. We don't need each other anymore, do we? You know, we don't. And if we would, if we would, uh, if we have a loss or something where we weren't covered in the church. We kind of squimish even having the church thinking about helping us because we're used to taking care of ourselves, right? It's just kind of where we live. With all the available insurances around us, where do we find a place for the opportunities that are described in Second Corinthians? You know, the caring and the giving and the sharing and 
God being glorified by it all. Thanksgiving coming up to God because of what's happening. How do, where do we find room for that? If we, uh, all find our cushion and our security in, 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 in the secular programs of this world. Where do we find room for the reality of a, of uh, what is described there in Second Corinthians. <clears throat> you know, it's uh, it's it's where we live, and it's where we have to where we have to face things. How does do we change with our world, or do we endeavor to look at the Scripture? Allow the scripture to keep prodding our thinking in the direction of what God would like his people to be and how he'd like them to function. <clears throat> you know, how do we, we talked about trust this morning. You talked about a trust barometer or trust trustometer. You know, how do we know whether we are whether we have the insurance mentality of our day <clears throat> that cushions us against all losses and setbacks. You know, if we were to be a community of people who, who draw back some from all the insurance opportunities, not saying that, I'm, and I, I do want to be understood, I'm not standing up here saying that to have insurance is wrong. I I'm not saying that, but I am challenging us to consider whether we have the insurance mentality and whether we are living in in that mentality much more than in a brotherhood uh, caring for one another mentality. You know, the care that God's people may be able to give us might not be as complete uh, in, in the sense that, let's just say, for example, uh, let's say we have, uh, we have uh, what would be an example that would be pertinent to us. Let's just, uh, let's say we would have a, um, a, a house. Let's use a house, for example. Yeah. I know most of us probably have some kind of insurance on our houses for for storms and fire and that kind of thing, an immediate loss. But let's say, for example, that you know an insurance you 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 have that insured and you it's insured at a replacement cost and and there might be a percentage you'd have to come up with, but basically the house would get replaced and it would all be a pretty done deal. Uh, wouldn't be a lot of out-of-the-pocket expenses for you. Now, let's say you were in a situation where you did not have the insurance, and uh, we didn't have the insurance, and uh, we uh, we uh, are a people who uh, believe in helping each other. And let's say that uh, you had a loss; your house did burn, and and uh, your uh, God's people uh, ministered to your need. But what came in was. Uh, was not as much as it would have been if you'd had it insured. And so you were able to rebuild, but you had to rebuild a little bit smaller maybe, or uh, you had to, uh, you know, you had to leave a couple of bedrooms and finish them five years later because uh, it just didn't 
not quite as much came in. To, but God's people ministered to you, and, and you were able to replace your house, but not, not quite such uh, as big one maybe as you don't want it. So what goes through my mind? Should have had it insured. <laughs> Isn't that the temptation to think? Should have had it insured. Do we have the insurance mentality? Or would we be satisfied? Would we be able to be content in a, in a situation like that? Content in what God has provided for us. And rejoice in it. Or would we have chafed and said, Boy, if I had just had that insured, we could have replaced that thing right out and we'd have been good to go. See, that's the difference between... That's the insurance mentality. <clears throat> you know, the insurance mentality, um, well, let me say this. They, there's, uh, over the years, God's people have uh, had various ways of endeavoring to share in one another's losses and meet one another's needs as opposed to an insurance company. Uh, Anabaptist, uh, all, God's people, especially the conservative people, I think probably more so maybe than, uh, than the Protestant people, but they've, they've, they've had ways and plans and working you know, things to, uh, to, to share with one another. And those, those are actually good. And, uh, we have some of them too, even here as a congregation. We've, uh, chosen to, uh, many of us have chosen to be a part of a, uh, a, uh, a medical sharing plan. And that's probably one of the big ones of our day with the exhilarating medical costs. And so we, uh, we've chosen to be a part of a larger, uh, medical sharing plan. Now, how does a medical how does a sharing plan differ from insurance? How should it differ in our hearts? See, we can actually have the insurance mentality and go into a sharing plan or go into a church sharing experience with an insurance mentality. That I'm due it. It's uh, I paid my dues and I I have it coming, you know. I have a need. You know, that is not a sharing plan mentality. And sharing plans have failed because of that type of mentality. I paid in. I had a loss and I want it. I'm due. <clears throat> the true nature of a sharing mentality would rather be this. Let's just say, for example, let's use uh, the Christian uh, uh, CAM, Conservative Amish Mennonite uh, Health Sharing Plan. Earl told us that in the last last uh, two quarters, they had heavy quarters. They had heavy draws. And their funds were drawn down pretty good. <clears throat> you know, in a sharing plan like that, there would be absolutely, or let me say it this way, the true nature of a sharing plan like that would be this, that if 
I, let's say for example, let's say that, uh, that um, I've paid my dues, okay? And I could take the mentality that, you know, it, it owes it to me. I've had a hospital bill. It's, uh, it's, let's, say, let's just use example. Let's say I've had a, had a $10,000 hospital bill. And I've been paying my dues. Oh, there's the, the plan is all in place. There's so much of it I cover, and the plan covers all the rest. And, and uh, I got it coming, right? That's an insurance mentality. A sharing plan mentality would be this. I could look at that. I could know that there are, uh, or let, let me say it this way. I have, let's say I have over here in a savings account, I have $20,000. There's no, no immediate need. But you know, I paid into this, uh, this plan and uh, I have it coming, you know. The true nature of a sharing plan would actually be this, where I could look at my situation and I could realize that, you know, I can actually pay this $10,000 bill. This isn't that. This isn't a great uh, setback for me. This isn't a great uh, uh, hardship for me. I could pay that. There's probably a whole host of people on this sharing plan that don't have near the resources that I have here. I'm going to pay that. That's the true nature of a sharing plan. And I don't say that to try to put a guilt trip on someone that needs to draw from it. I just say that to challenge our thinking. Because there's times and places when that actually should be happening. That actually should be happening. Where we realize that, you know what? The Lord has provided already. I don't need to draw on this. I don't need to go and, and, and draw from the resources of a host of other people who might not be nearly as well off financially as I am. The true nature of a sharing plan would actually take those things in consideration. <clears throat> So, do I have an insurance mentality? I know I've had one. And I've had, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful. God has plucked, uh, hammered away at my insurance mentality over the years. He has. And uh, I'm, uh, I trust I'm seeing this, these matters more from a scriptural perspective as as uh, as I allow God to work, <clears throat> but we can have uh, a, an insurance mentality. Here's another concept that that uh, I would uh, I would challenge us with just a little bit, um, and this is the idea of uh, I don't know how many of you get collision insurance for your vehicles, uh, and I, again I'm not going to I'm not telling you that it's wrong to have collision insurance, but I'd like to encourage you to consider this. How about you just buy a vehicle of the value that you're willing to lose rather than going out and buying an expensive one so that you, and you don't want to lose that amount if you crash the thing, so you go out and buy a collusion policy for it. How about if you go the other way and look at what you'd be willing to lose if you crash the thing and then go out and buy a vehicle accordingly. I just say that to challenge our insurance mentality a little bit. Because this old world is just, it's throwing it at, at us all the time. And I, uh, I would uh, I'd like to 
to challenge us on that a bit. <clears throat> you know, as far as uh, getting back to the uh, the uh, exemption idea and uh, the the idea of caring for each other, uh, being here as a church and a people, I I realize that that is actually a controversial issue among conservative people. Some feel it's a good thing and some feel it's not a good thing. I, for myself, I feel very, I feel very comfortable that that provision can be used in a very God-honoring way. And, uh, I would, I would like to see us as a church continue to embrace those opportunities of, of, uh, developing those kind of sharing and caring for each other like Corinthians speaks about where needs can be met among us and God can be glorified and people can be blessed and and all those kind of things rather than move away from those kind of things and just all kind of throw our lot with some kind of commercial insurances and uh, cushion ourselves in that way and you take care of yourself and I'll take care of myself kind of thing, you know. I would I would like to encourage us to to keep that uh, spirit alive of sharing and caring for one another's needs, and that may mean that we'll accept the uh, uh, exemption that the government has available to us, and it may or it may mean we choose not to. You know the the uh, uh, the scripture in Luke's going to speak to us here, regardless of whether we choose to accept that exemption or whether we don't. It still speaks to us concerning uh, tomorrow's needs and how we relate to them. <clears throat> I am well aware that uh, that the uh, as it always is that that exemption has been abused. Uh, people have used it as an opportunity to get out of taxes and heap to themselves wealth and more wealth and so on. I'm I'm aware of that. Uh, does that make me throw the whole thing out? Not necessarily. I, uh, I feel it can be used right. And I feel it's actually an opportunity. Uh, we can, if we look at it correctly, look at it uh, from a Luke uh, Christ perspective of, of uh, seizing it as an opportunity to minister to the needs of others, uh, I, I think there's a blessing there. <clears throat> so I want to encourage the uh, the idea of of uh, being a sharing in a caring people, and uh, I have to admit, I uh, as I was studying this, I, I, my mind went back to how at Harmony over the years we were always just a small, we never were part of a bigger medical sharing plan, and I'm and God always met our needs in in some amazing ways, and I have to admit, I almost uh, almost. Uh, Wished we could go back there <laughs> as I was studying this whole thing. Uh, not that I feel there's anything wrong with a bigger sharing plan. I don't. But I realize the opportunity is there for us to become more insurance-minded in a bigger sharing plan. And I want to encourage us to really guard our hearts against such insurance mentality. <clears throat> Maybe I'll wrap it up here. Uh, tomorrow's needs... I'll just wrap it up with a word on uh, 
government money and grants. I realize that these are the kind of subjects that don't usually get spoken on on a Sunday morning. But I decided the other side is always being shouted from every magazine and and uh, what you call it that I felt like maybe it ought to be spoken from a different perspective, at least a little bit. Uh, there's a devotional that I read once, and I'd like to just uh, read a paragraph out of it just for the sake of of uh, context of where we find ourselves as a nation just now. <clears throat> Edward Gibbon said in his Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, a book that he apparently wrote on the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, that the fall of Rome was marked by five attributes. The first was a mounting love of show and luxury summed up as affluence. Second was an ever-widening gap between the very rich and the very poor. Third was an overindulgence in the arts such as literature and exotic music. Fourth was an obsession with sex. And the fifth one is actually the reason I draw this, uh, read this, uh, the fifth one was an ever-increasing desire to live off the state. Those are the five issues that were basically the the, the attributes that were, de- were were developing in Rome, and would, you would say were probably the cause of the fall. That sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? That describes the country that you and I live in to the T. To the T. You know, there is, there is such a... At every... And again, it's this, I don't know if it's an insurance mentality or what it is, but at every point of hardship, people cry out to the government, Help us! You know, we don't deserve to be suffering this. We want help. We want it now. That's 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 our people. That's our world, and uh, we we just we want to be cushioned in everything, and uh, and there's uh, of course our government is gladly seizing upon that. They're very glad to do that. They're very glad to to continue to move in on us and uh, give us what we want. Then a little more control. Give us what we want. A little more control, and they're doing it. They're 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 glad to do it. We can squawk at them, but uh, the reality is that as a nation and a people, we have made the bed that we're laying in. We have set ourselves up for it. You know, I'm not here to share anything to to criticize someone who has uh, taken government funding, grants, whatever. I'm not here to to try to make someone feel bad. I'm not even aware of anyone that would have done anything or what they'd have done. I'm just here to speak up a bit so that the, the, the growing generation 
at least has heard a warning somewhere along the way. My father had two advisors in his uh, days of farming. They were, neither of them were of any Anabaptist persuasion, and I'm not sure what even the Christian profession of either of them exactly was. But they were two businessmen. Those two businessmen always, always, always discouraged any kind of government input. Grants, um, just any kind. They, they, they never spoke an encouraging word in involving government in your life and your business in that sense. Uh, not against government. We need governments. Uh, we're glad for the government. We pay our taxes. We pay them gladly. But they always discouraged the government, uh, us in our businesses, in our proximity of work and what we're doing to allow, to, 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 uh, to accept, uh, yeah, the fund, funding from governments to, to, uh, simply because they always said, it comes with strings attached. It comes with strings attached. And in the end, it will probably bite you worse than if you'd have never taken it. <clears throat> now, my, my parents were so much opposed to any kind of government involvement in their, as far as government payouts and things like that. A few years back... The government uh, back there in, uh, I forget which years it was, but for a couple of years they had, you, uh, any of you re- uh, remember the, the uh, phrase, uh, the, the benefit, tax benefit of making work pay, something like that. It was in there for about two years or three years when we had our last major recession set back in about 2008 or nine. Uh, it was called making work pay, and I think it was a $500 tax credit or somebody that every working person got. And uh, I have the same tax accountant that my parents do. And my accountant told me that uh, when the government gave that benefit to my parents, they, they didn't want it. And they got our accountant to find out where they can somehow give this back to the government. And he found a benevolent fund or something in the government and uh, they gave it back. They didn't want it. They were so opposed to taking money from government. I didn't go quite that far myself. But uh, anyway, uh, I simply say that to uh, to say that, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, in this day of all this... Uh, this cry and uh, all these uh, grants and all sorts of things, I guess I just want to be a voice that speaks on the other side and warns concerning... Uh, uh, I've, been all, I've been amazed, actually I've been amazed at how the conservative people have actually run after some of that. Uh, I know there's a huge amount of it in solar panels, you know, big government grants and all sorts of grants and solar panels people run after. I, What will the end of it be? I don't know. 
I just know that as a person myself, anytime I see those kind of things, uh, if it doesn't, it's not going to pay for itself outright. I'm not one to, to even entertain the idea of. Uh, uh, and, and, and go back again, uh, you know, how does it fit in the context of uh, Luke 12? When Jesus says, sell that you have, give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old and a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Um, I realize, and again, I, I, I want to be careful. I realize we live in a, in a world where the government is seizing in upon us and uh, we will more and more be entangled in it. I am aware of that. I am aware that, uh, that, yeah. But I still would like to at least, like I said earlier, I would like to at least be a voice that says, wait a minute, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to take that grant? Is that actually, uh, is that actually a scriptural, uh, approach to life and business and whatever else you're I uh, I'm aware that they require things of us they require farmers to do things that that they otherwise wouldn't do and since they require it they may as well pay it I'm aware of all those kind of things um, but even with that awareness I, I guess I just still say I think we need a bit of caution I think we need a bit of caution um, and consider what should our scripture approach be as this old world continues to wax and wane, kingdoms rise and fall, and uh, kind of back to our question, what are we trusting? All right, shall we pray? We'll conclude with prayer. <clears throat> Father, again look upon us with mercy and guide our thoughts and our hearts as we've considered these uh, probably somewhat sensitive subjects to, to some in this room. And I pray today that your spirit would be that which ministers to each of us, gives us uh, guidance, gives us uh, courage, gives us uh, confidence and trust in you. And Lord, do be with us. We acknowledge that uh, we are in this world and we're not planning to go out of this world until you call us home. And until then, we have to uh, do our best to engage our Christian faith in everyday living. And we acknowledge that at times it's even difficult to know how to uh, respond in all different sorts of situations. We're asking for help and for guidance in these things, Lord. Just... Uh, in these practical everyday decisions that we face and in the involvements of government. We are grateful, Father, for our governments. We are grateful for their care for us. We are grateful for the stability that they, uh, this country has been able to enjoy and the peace, the absence of wars and civil wars and all those kind of things. Father, we are grateful and we realize that it is your blessing that has enabled that. We recognize that 
it is not in the power of men to do that. And that if your blessing weren't upon us as a nation, there are no men that would be strong enough to keep it in peacefulness and in order. And so our faith and our trust, it is in you, Lord. We do ask that you grant us grace to walk worthy of you and of your kingdom and uh, to honor you in all we do. Father, we just again commit these few words to you and do ask that uh, you would bless each one present here today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.